Going to begin in Durham, where the school board meets again tonight at 6.30 with that ongoing salary dispute still yet to be resolved. That dispute began after an accounting mistake led the district to promise raises to teachers and staff that were not covered in the budget. Tonight, school board members will review two options and possibly approve one, but neither is perfect. One of the options would require officials to find another $2 million in the budget, and both options would leave some staffers earning less than they were promised in the fall. Durham City Council also meets today in a work session at 1 p.m. Tops on their agenda is a presentation on ShotSpotter, a tool designed to help police gather information about incidents involving gunfire. Durham recently wrapped up a one-year trial of the program, and council members will get data from Duke University's Wilson Center on how effective it was. Meanwhile, in Carborough, emergency crews had to respond to a structure fire just after noon yesterday at 10 Alston Drive near Dogwood Acres. Crews put the fire out in about 15 minutes and there were no injuries, but there was about $65,000 in damage to three outbuildings. Back in Chapel Hill, details are still emerging about last month's fatal crash on Route 54 that killed UNC student Molly Rotunda. The vehicle that crashed was doing 124 miles an hour. Police have been investigating whether racing was involved, and now WRAL reports new court documents show another vehicle was closely following the car when it crashed. Ten different people now face charges related to the crash, with the investigation still ongoing. Three of those ten are UNC football players, including Zachary Rice who is reportedly driving that other vehicle. In other local news, Orange County Animal Services has reported the county's first positive rabies test of the year, this one in Chapel Hill near 15501 by Southern Village. A resident called Animal Control after their dog had an altercation with a raccoon. The raccoon turned out to be a rabbit. Animal officials are reminding everyone to keep your pets up to date on their rabies vaccines. You can visit our website, chapelboro.com, for a link to details about future low-cost rabies vaccine clinics. Those were all bad news stories. In better local news, Chapel Hill High School got a big honor this week. The company Wix Filters and the online magazine Tomorrow's Technician have named Chapel Hill High as their National School of the Year, recognizing the school's automotive training program run by Robert Ballard. Ballard says there are about 100 Chapel Hill High School students currently enrolled in that program, which runs in cooperation with local community colleges like Durham Tech. Down now to Pittsburgh, where local and state leaders gathered recently to voice their support for improving water quality statewide. Fitting location, because Pittsburgh has been dealing with repeated chemical spills affecting their water supply for months. 97.9 The Hills' Brighton McConnell was there. This is all everything from the river, all the dirt and everything. You can see it kind of forms into these balls. And this is our flocculation process. So we got the coagulation, and this is what we call flock. And this is the start of it. Corey Salisbury, the superintendent for Pittsburgh's water treatment plant, walks around outside, stepping on the grates above slowly churning water at the town facility off 15501. As he gives a tour, he shares how the raw water captured from the Haw River just a mile up the road gets cleaned and filtered before going through treatment to be used as drinking water for residents. Inside the treatment plant, Salisbury and his staff have colorful screen displays where they control that cleaning and filtration. He points out those sections, as well as how much raw water is being taken in from the Haw River, and how much clean water is available in the town's water towers on another screen. We can see our pumps, which pumps we're going to run, and, that, and we can see our raw flow today. We can see how much we flowed. Right now we're at 715,000 gallons. This is what we did yesterday, a little over a million. 
Those raw intake numbers are back up to normal after more than two weeks of drawing only minimal amounts. After receiving an alert from the city of Burlington about a spill of the chemical 1,4-dioxane into the haw on January 24th, Salisbury and his team limited their pulls from the river to just four or five times a day to only meet the town's immediate water demands. Limiting that intake and all the other water cleaning processes at the treatment plant helps Pittsburgh try to keep its drinking water free of contaminants, which is challenging when pulling from a source like the Haw River. To highlight both Pittsburgh's efforts and the need for wider regulation of threats to water quality, North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein and House Minority Leader Robert Reeves joined Mayor Kyle Shipp last Thursday. Reeves, who represents Pittsburgh in Chatham County in District 54, said the state government holds some of the responsibility for preventing and responding to contaminants. He said he believes laws should be strengthened and more severe consequences levied to companies who release into water sources, calling the lack of movement by North Carolina, quote, frustrating. A slap on the wrist is nothing when communities like Pittsburgh have to work day and night just to ensure residents have clean drinking water. I'm willing to work with anyone who wants to ensure that safe, clean water is a priority and not an afterthought. Stein echoed those sentiments, pointing to the work his office has done to create precedents in court, even if few laws have been passed. The attorney general said he believes chemical industry leaders have to come to the table to work with the government on improving regulations. Otherwise, he pledged his office will, quote, not hesitate to take action when residents' health is put at risk. When you turn on a faucet at home, you should never have to worry, is that water going to make your loved one sick? You shouldn't have to worry about giving your kids a bath in the bathtub. You should never doubt whether that water is clean. And while I appreciate the town of Pittsburgh's initiative, you shouldn't have to bring water jugs and water bottles to a collection agency to get specially treated water. That is not what we want for the people of North Carolina. Pittsburgh recently spent $3 million to install a granulated activated carbon system to help filter out forever chemicals, also known as PFAS, that aren't regulated. Ship said Thursday that since coming online two years ago, that GAC system has helped decrease around 90% of PFAS compounds and set an example to other local governments of its effectiveness. But Pittsburgh isn't just stopping there. Last week, the town also approved funding for a pilot program with the Burlington company BN Nano, which claims it has filtering processes that go beyond Pittsburgh's current system. Here's Mayor Ship. The promise of this new system is that it can have a dramatic decrease in cost and physical size, and then it actually destroys the chemicals as well. And so that's that's a key differentiator of it, and it works on you know more chemicals than the GAC system does. If it works... The method could lead to another example to rural communities how to prevent contamination and protect residents' water quality. For 97.9 The Hill, I'm Brighton McConnell. On campus, UNC's Lineberger Cancer Center has been chosen as one of nine sites for a new nationwide cancer screening research network, part of the National Cancer Institute. ABC 11 reporting that the goal is to develop new and better cancer screening technology to catch cancer, to catch cancer earlier and more accurately. Also on campus, congratulations to Katie Heath, a Ph.D. student in biomedical engineering. DTH reports she was just elected as next year's graduate and professional student body president. And 
congrats to Professor Blair Kelly, the director of UNC's Center for the Study of the American South. She was just named as one of five finalists for the L.A. Times Book Prize in History for her book, Black Folk, The Roots of the Black Working Class. The winner will be announced April 19th. And finally, in state-level news, oral arguments begin today in yet another round of hearings in the ongoing Leandro case. That case has been going on for 30 years now, with numerous judges ruling that the state is failing to meet its constitutional obligation to provide all students with access to a sound basic education. There's a financial plan now to meet that obligation, but Republican lawmakers want judges to say that only the General Assembly has the authority to decide how to allocate funds, and they want the court to limit the ruling to just the few counties directly involved in the lawsuit rather than requiring change statewide. But what does it all mean for actual classrooms? Walter Runke filed this report for UNC's Media Hub. Leandro is a nearly 30-year-running case that deals with education funding and inequities. In 1994, the mother of Robert Leandro, a student in Hope County, along with others from four other low-wealth counties, argued that their school districts did not have enough money to provide an adequate education for their children. In 1997, the case reached the North Carolina Supreme Court. There, Chief Justice Burley Mitchell delivered a decision that would define the next three decades of litigation. When it was in the Supreme Court, what we said is, you have to provide, the the, the constitutional right provided in the state constitution is the right to a sound basic education. And then we defined that. In 2004, the Supreme Court reaffirmed that opinion and found that the state was not living up to its constitutional obligation. That eventually led to the creation of the Comprehensive Remedial Plan, which would pour billions of dollars into education. But Mitchell says that was never the point of Leandro. We said money wasn't wasn't the answer, wasn't the only answer, you know, the end-all, be-all, and that it should not be focused on, and of course it, it was. He says the state's obligation is about outputs, like test scores and educational achievement, not just inputs, like money. You measure compliance by whether Johnny can read. And in North Carolina, right now, it appears that Johnny can't read. But funding is all important for poor counties, like Hope County. You know, those dollars definitely would be used to provide a better educational experience for children. Dr. Dawn Ramshire is the Assistant Superintendent of Elementary Education and Technology in Hoke County. Hoke often ranks near the bottom in ability to fund county schools. I just do believe that that condition still exists and it hasn't been resolved. Ramshire says increased funding from the plan laid out in Leandro would have a huge impact on the district. I think it's not only going to benefit our school system, but also contribute to that broader community um, by strengthening you know, that educational foundation for future generations. And it would correct a three-decade-long mistake. You think about that, you think about for 30 years, students have still been, we've had an equity issue. Um, We can't go back and undo that. That's done. Ramsher worries that in all of the litigation, people have lost focus. I do hope that we get back to um, remembering why this is so important and that those um, inequities do exist across the state. The court former Chief Justice Mitchell once sat on will decide in February what to do next following billions of dollars in expenditures and decades of litigation. I'm Walter Rinke, reporting. 
for the UNC Media Hub. A course at the Husband School of Journalism and Media. Get more of their reporting online at mediahub.unc.edu. And visit our website, chapelboro.com, for more local news, including details about a week-long closure on Jones Ferry Road starting Monday and a story about Orange County's U.S. House Representative Valerie Fushi, who's just been selected to be part of a bipartisan task force on artificial intelligence. 623, your time. Sports now brought to you by Coldwell Banker Howard Perry and Walston. Tonight, the spotlight is on UNC women's basketball back in Carmichael Arena hosting sixth ranked NC State. Big game for the Tar Heels, currently tied for sixth in the ACC at nine and five, but only a game behind fourth, play, fourth place Louisville, so still very much in the hunt for that all important double bye in the ACC tournament. Carolina seeking revenge for a narrow loss to the Wolfpack when they met in Raleigh three weeks ago. Tip off time is is 8 p.m. We'll have all the action for you right here on 97.9 The Hill, starting with pregame coverage at 7.30. Big game also coming up for Tar Heel men's basketball Saturday at Virginia. Armando Baycott has still never won in Charlottesville. Three trips up there with no wins, and Carolina will need a big night from him to crack that UVA defense. Speaking on Hubert Davis Live this week, assistant coach Sean May discussed his message to Baycott and the rest of the Tar Heel big men. Well, I've seen him for many, many, many years because he's been here forever. Um, but he's got, you know, the thing about Armando and I have a, a phenomenal relationship. And for the way he played against Virginia Tech, especially in that second half, and, you know, we, we've had to try to, you know, make him understand that, listen, like, you know, RJ's having a great year, but it, it's got to be both of you. And, and you've got you've to impose your will on the game, and you have a dominance about you and a, and a presence. We, a presence. We always talk about, like, they've they got to feel you. Whether you're scoring or not, they have to feel you and know you're there and be a presence in the lane and on the backboard. So he's been really good as of late, and, and, and I want him to continue to play uh, extremely well. Listen, he, you know, he's had a, a storied career here. Um, and we want to end it the right way. And I think it's very important for him to end it the right way. And uh, he's put himself in a great position. I think Harrison has lightened the load a little bit on him. I tell him, you know, I told Harrison, we've got the best uh, rebounder in Carolina basketball history, but you're leading the conference in rebounding. So that's right. That says a lot about Harrison and the work that he's done. And, and we've got a good group. Jalen Washington has helped us. He, he's continued to grow and continue to get better. James Oconquo, I mean, you guys should see him in practice. He, he you know, he, he's a beast. And so uh, we've got a good group, a good big man group, and we've got more work to do. And Sean May there. Elsewhere in sports, Lexi Godwin had a three-run homer to lead the Carolina softball team to a 6-4 to win over UNC Greensboro yesterday. UNC's now 6-1 and on the season. That's their best start since since 2012. They're back in action tomorrow, hosting Lipscomb. Meanwhile, in Greensboro, Tar Heel diver Aranza Vasquez Montano continued her impressive week at the ACC Championships, taking gold in the one-meter springboard yesterday. That tournament continues through Saturday. ACC Championships also getting underway today for track and field. Boston College is hosting that. And finally, in hockey, the Carolina Hurricanes are back on the ice tonight, hosting the Panthers. Faceoff time is set for seven.